0: all right so our first presentation is entitled revelations four horsemen and uh, before we get into our message let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer father in heaven lord we want to thank you so much uh, for this day lord we thank you that it's your sabbath now and we pray lord that you would be with us on this special sabbath day lord that you would speak to us that you would guide us that you would direct our steps lord and uh, we pray that you would be with us now as we open your word please speak to us enlighten us lord help us to see the history of the church imperfect as it is lord help us to to see that and to benefit from it lord to know why there are so many different denominations and to see lord that you do have an end time movement that is um, revealing and sharing truth with others and we pray lord that you would help us to see that from your word tonight we pray in jesus name amen have you ever wondered if there is one god and one bible and one jesus why are there so many different denominations sure we've all wondered that at times where did all these different denominations come from let's suppose that you're a new Christian and you're moving to a big city and um, you've decided that you want to go to church but you don't know anybody you don't have any friends in that area and so you do the old-fashioned thing and instead of googling it you pull out the phone book (laughs) or you could google it either way and uh, you start looking through the phone book and you're looking for a church Now, there's all different kinds of churches. You'll see that there are Bible churches, there are Christian Reformed churches, there are Christian Science churches, there are Methodist churches, there are Baptists, there are Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, the list goes on and on. So many different churches. In America today, there are over 1,500 different denominations, and it keeps growing and growing. Um, The average person is often bewildered and confused by so many church options, and uh, they don't really understand if there's one God, one Bible, why so many different churches. 1,500 denominations, that's a lot. Well, they all look at these different church names, and and they often become confused, but the key here, friends, is that we shouldn't go to church to find out what the truth is. We should actually go to God's Word to find out what the truth is. Amen? Amen should go to his word Um, because if you had to search the teachings of every church out there that would take an entire lifetime if you were searching for the truth and finding it in all these different churches uh, it would take years and years and a whole lifetime or more to to do that so what we do is we go to God's word to discover truth amen because all the churches say we have the truth there is not one church out there that says we come to our church because we have 60 percent of the truth You don't hear that, right? No one advertises it that way. They're all saying, come to our church. We have 100% of the truth. Well, the good news tonight, friends, is that the Bible clearly reveals the history of the Christian church. And when we understand the history of the Christian church, that helps us to see why exactly there are so many different denominations. Uh, In the Bible, it says, uh, Amos the prophet says in Amos 3.7, he says, surely... The Lord God does how much? He does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. And that would include John the Revelator. He was a prophet. God revealed things to John. And as we've been studying the book of Revelation and Daniel, we see that Daniel and uh, John did not just make this stuff up. God revealed it to them. Amen? And uh, that should give us confidence. So here in Revelation chapter 6, we see an amazing vision of four horsemen that gallop across the sky and in this vision of the four horsemen god has revealed the future of christianity more clearly in this spot than any other place in the bible revelations four horsemen represent four successive ages in the history of the church the first seal is found in revelation chapter 6 verse 1 the bible says now i that is i john saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say, saying with a loud voice, like thunder, Come and see. So here we see, friends, that Jesus, the Lamb of God, opens the first seal of history. And in verse 2 it says, And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So here we see that this first Uh, period of church history is represented by a white horse and the one riding that horse and wearing a crown represents Jesus. He's going out conquering and to conquer. Now now white is a symbol of purity. It was back in Bible times and it's still a symbol of purity today. New Testament believers would have understood this this, uh, symbol of white. Therefore the horse, when a Roman general conquered the enemy Uh, kingdoms, he he would return triumphantly riding on a white horse. This is what they did historically. Uh, So a white horse represented conquest. It represented victory. So we see here in Revelation 6 that this rider on the white horse also has a bow in his hand, and that is because the church in the first century was on the offensive, so to speak. It was going against the enemies of truth it was proclaiming the truth with power they were dispelling the darkness with truth so the white horse represents a powerful and pure faith the pure faith of the first century church in the new testament we see that the truth triumphed you know there was uh, thousands that were converted in a day at pentecost there were over 3000 baptized and added to the church and they turned the world upside down in that first century So from AD 31 to AD 100, the disciples powerfully preached the truths of God's word. And Christianity spread like wildfire. Churches were raised up all throughout the Roman Empire. In fact, one Roman author wrote this He said, You Christians are everywhere. You are in our armies, in our navies, you are in the marketplace and shops, you are in our senate and universities, you are everywhere. It's amazing, friends, how quickly Christianity spread in that first century, and uh, they were everywhere, and they were making a difference for Jesus wherever they were, whether they were in school, whether they were in the workplace, they were making an impact for Christ. Acts chapter 5, verse 14, describes this rapid growth of the early church. It says, And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, So here we see that it exploded with growth. Tens of thousands were accepting Christ and being baptized. But unfortunately, friends, some of those Christians were martyred. There was persecution even in that first century. Stephen was the first. We see that in the book of Acts. And then others followed. But as as some were martyred, others stepped out in faith to follow Christ because they were inspired by the faithfulness of those martyrs. But praise God that nothing could stop the progress of the first century christianity the power of the gospel could not be stopped amen and friends that's what happens when believers fully give their hearts to Christ when they fully surrender to Jesus the church has power it has power to witness it has power to reach out and to share the gospel and it focuses on the great commission when all the members are are surrendered to the lord when men and women do when when men and women do not compromise truth in their own life the church has power. The reason why the church today is often more like a social club is because the church has lost its power and it's it's compromised. There's there's lots of compromise in the Christian church. And when the church compromises it loses the power of the Holy Spirit. When the church turns to tradition, when the church turns the word of God into fables, the church loses the blessings of God. The Bible says in Colossians one twenty three, If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. So here we see Paul says, be grounded, be steadfast, understand what you believe, and don't move away from the hope of the gospel don't let anyone move you which you have heard which was preached to every creature under heaven of which i paul became a minister so here we see that the gospel went forth like fire in the stubble everywhere the torch of truth was bright, was was shining brightly in those days thousands were converted and satan knew that he could not let this keep going on like usual and so the prophetic picture changes and we see another horse ride onto the scene the second seal opens and a red horse gallops across the sky revelation chapter 6 4 says another horse fiery red went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that the earth should kill one another sorry and that the people should kill one another and there was given to him a great sword so here we see the red horse gallops across the sky with a sword dipped in blood. It was the, it, the church had been triumphing everywhere, so Satan had to do something, and so he began a, an era of fierce, bloody persecution. He influenced political leaders who viciously persecuted the christians of those uh, of that time christians were taken to the Colosseum and they were thrown before the lions and people were watching it it was it was so terrible Uh, eusebius was an early christian church historian and he wrote this about the church in egypt as it was being persecuted in the first century he said we saw the most marvelous inspiration a force which was truly divine and the readiness of those who had faith in who had faith in the Christ of God, immediately when sentence had been pronounced on one group, another party came before the tribunal, acknowledging themselves as Christians. And remaining unmoved before dangers and torments of all kinds, indeed, they reasoned with joy the final sentence of death. They sang hymns and offered thanksgiving to God of all until their last breath. Inspiring, friends these martyrs would stand faithful to Christ even to their very last breath. They were singing, singing hymns and praising God even as they were being persecuted. Friends, God gave them that strength, amen? He helped them to be able to stand faithful to him even in the midst of that persecution. And friends, if God ever calls you to experience persecution like that, he will give you the strength to go through it, amen? So just as the white horse represented a powerful and pure faith the red horse of the second seal represented a blood-stained faith so much persecution took place during this time from ad 100 to ad 313 the christian church was terribly persecuted so we've seen that the white horse represents a church with apostolic power and also purity a church triumphant and the red horse a blood-stained and persecuted church but the church continued to grow Um, satan persecuted but he could not stop it amen and one early church writer wrote that the blood of martyrs was like seed for the christian church so the more people that were martyred there would be even more christians that would spring up as a result of their faithful witness so satan had to change the strategy from persecution to something else then the third seal opens, and a third horse gallops across the sky. And Revelation 6:5 describes it. it says, "When he uh, opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, "Come and see." So I looked and behold a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. So in spite of the persecution that was going on, the church kept growing. and so Satan said, "I have to do something, I have to stop the progress." Of the Christian church and now his new method was to introduce compromise he figured if you can't beat them you should join them and that's exactly what happened his master strategy worked to bring pagan practices into the Christian church so we've seen thus far that the white horse represented a true church a pure church the black horse represented error and compromise but what about this pair of scales that were in the writer's hands. Well, the pair of scales represents a church judged in the balances of God and found wanting. So this black horse period represents the church uh, his, the church from the years A.D. 313 to A.D. 538. And uh, the apostle Paul was concerned about these compromises even in his day and knew that more was to come. And in Acts chapter 20 and 29, Paul says to the leaders of the Christian church, he says, For I know this, that after my departure, after I die, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So Paul wrote this in the first century during the white horse time period. And in the next century, savage wolves did come into the church and and did persecute the church. And many Christians as we saw were burned at the stake and thrown to the lions. There were there were many martyrs during this time. Satan tried to destroy God's flock. But notice what Paul adds. He also adds this. He says, "And also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves." So Paul says that there was a time that was coming when relig- religious leaders would arise within the church and draw people to themselves instead of drawing people to Christ. Now, what are pastors supposed to do? Are they supposed to draw people to themselves or to Christ? Christ. To Christ, right? And so this was a major problem in this time period, and it's still a problem today. So during this time, the church would become very large, and it would become very popular. It became the popular church. There were compromises that would creep into the church at this time, and the teachings of men were substituted by the teachings sorry the teachings of men would be substituted for the teachings of God human tradition would take the place of the bible and daniel 8:12 describes what this power during the dark ages would do it says that he would cast truth to the ground and he did all this and prospered and during this black horse time period during the 4th and 5th centuries truth was cast to the ground friends it was a very dark time church history reveals that this prophecy was true and in the development of christian doctrine page 372 it says we are told by eusebius that constantine in order to recommend a new religion to the heathen that is christianity to the heathen he transferred it he transferred into it the outward ornaments to which they had been accustomed in their own religion so how could he do that friends well, Constantine, he united with the church after he became a Christian. Now, it's very debated as to whether or not that was a genuine uh, conversion, but uh, I think it's pretty obvious that uh, it wasn't. Um, and according to Eusebius, it says that he transferred the Christian ornaments from, from paganism into the Christianity to make it more acceptable for pagans to join the church. Thus, the teachings of church councils replaced the teachings of of god's word the authority of earthly priests replaced the authority of jesus and and human works were then substituted for the grace of christ it was a very sad time period salvation through christ was also replaced by the requirements of the church during this time but simple biblical faith taught and taught what ephesians 2 8 says for by grace you have been saved through faith amen and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Friends, it is a free gift for each and every one of us, amen? But during this period of compromise, simple faith was replaced. And, and these pagan practices came into the church. Things like the lighting of candles and bowing down before images and the worship of saints. All these things came into the church. These practices were, were, had been previously unknown in the Christian church. that so wasn't practiced but since Satan could not destroy the church through persecution, he tried to get the church to compromise the truth. And he was very successful at doing it, unfortunately. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, the Bible says, "...and he," referring to this little horn power, "...shall speak, shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws." Now, we've seen in previous presentations that God's law was written with what? His own finger, right? On two tables of stone and um, making it immutable. You know, this is something that God has written down and no man should be able to change it. Amen? Well, we've seen that the church of the dark ages attempted to do just that. They attempted to change God's law. They went ahead and they removed the second commandment, which says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. And friends, God gave this commandment because he knew that if we were to kneel down before images, the images would eventually take the place of God himself. Then the holiness that should be ascribed to God would then be ascribed to those images. But in the Compromise period, images from paganism were actually brought into the Christian church. Let me give you an example. Uh, this statue is actually in St. Peter's Basilica there in Rome. I went there two summers ago and had a tour of this place. Uh, so who, who would you think this person is um, since it's in St. Peter's Basilica? You would think that it would be Peter, but most people don't realize that it's actually not Peter. It's actually the pagan Uh, god jupiter that and it was brought into the church it was renamed peter and it was brought into saint peter's basilica there in rome and uh and it was to make the the worship of christianity more appealing to the to the pagans to get them to accept it and to be more excited about it so the church uh at that time introduced the idea of saints also living in heaven and they made statues to the saints uh, and they made it easier for pagans to Uh, enjoy the worship experience there. So the Bible uh, continues to describe these compromises in these words. Um, The compromising church would think to change times and laws. So they simply removed the second commandment from the ten commandments. Now that is a dangerous thing to do friends. We cannot change God's law. Amen? Uh, But that's how they did it. They got rid of the second commandment and they split the tenth into two. So thou shalt not covet was now split into two and uh, that's how they still have ten commandments today you can check this out online it's it's they're not afraid to uh, to admit this thus the roman church and the roman state united to make christianity more acceptable to the world this included introducing pagan sun worship into the christian church and attempting to change the true bible sabbath from saturday to sunday Now let's look back at an early apostles creed. It says this in the apostolic creed book, um, section, uh, book seven, section two, it says, "O Lord Almighty, thou hast created the world by who? By Jesus Christ and hath appointed the Sabbath in memory thereof. So here in the early apostles creed, there is a clear reference to the bible sabbath the early christians were keeping the bible sabbath friends but during this age of compromise the pagan the pagan day of the sun ended up replacing the bible sabbath and we looked at that more extensively uh, a few weekends ago many christians ended up accepting sunday in honor of the resurrection uh, to make christianity more acceptable to pagans who were worshiping on the venerable day of the sun and uh, Christian history reveals this. You can go to any library or Google and find these facts. Uh, in the book, History of the Eastern Church, page 184, it says, "...the retention of the old pagan name of Dies Solis for Sunday is in a great measure, measure owing to the union of pagan and Christian sentiment with which the first day of the week was recommended by Constantine to his subjects, pagan and Christian alike, as the venerable day of of the sun so do you see what satan's strategy is here friends satan's master strategy was to influence powerful religious leaders to unite with a powerful state government um, in this black horse time period and sunday was the vehicle that united both parties and so they compromised the church the church compromised And in the doctrinal catechism on page 174 of the 3rd American edition, Catholic author Reverend Stephen Keenan says this. He says, Question, have you any other way of proving that the church has power to institute festivals of precepts? Answer, had she not such power, she could not have done that in which all modern religionists agree with her. She could not have substituted the observance of Sunday, the first day of the week, for the observance of Saturday, the seventh day, a change for which there is how much scriptural authority? No scriptural authority. So Reverend Keenan makes this issue plain. The church attempted to change God's law. And as a result, idol worship came in, Sunday worship came in, and they were more, it was more acceptable for the pagans to join them and come into the church. So during this time, we see that the church grew large, it grew popular, but it lost its true power during this time. Then a fourth seal opens, the pale horse. And the Bible says this about it in Revelation 6, verse 8. It says, so I looked and behold, a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed after him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. So during this period, um, which is also known as the Dark Ages, it went. It lasted from AD 538, and it went onward. And the church was very large at this time. It built great cathedrals uh, like this one here in the picture. But there was a great persecution of true Bible-believing Christians during this time. Church and state united, but the church was spiritually dead. It was bankrupt spiritually. Here's an amazing statement from Church History Century 2. It says, Christianity became an established religion in the Roman Empire, and it took the place of paganism. Christianity as it existed in the Dark Ages might be termed what? Baptized paganism. That was a very good classification of what Christianity looked like during the Dark Ages. It was baptized paganism. Baptized paganism happens when you take idols and you bring them into the church. When you baptize the idol of Jupiter and you rename it Peter, that is baptized paganism. When you take Isis and, or Venus and you call them the Virgin Mary and, and worship them, that is called baptized paganism. When you substitute the pagan Sunday for the Sabbath, that is baptized paganism. So here we see that the 4th century seal represents a dead faith. So let's review what we've studied thus far. So first we had a white horse, which represented a pure apostolic faith that went forward conquering and to conquer with Jesus um, leading the church. Then there was the red horse, which represented a blood-stained church. There, there was so much persecution in, the, in that time period. Then there was the black horse representing a compromised faith. Satan realized that he could not destroy the church by pure persecution, so he decided to join the church and to introduce compromise. And then the fourth period was the pale horse, which represented a dead faith. So during the Dark Ages, we've seen that there was this union of church and state. The decrees of the church ended up taking the place of God's word. And faithful Christians that wouldn't give in to this, they were often persecuted during the Dark Ages, and many were burned at the stake once again. During this period, there were steps of compromise that led the church downward and still farther down. The tradition of man took the place of God's word. Penances took the place of the grace of Jesus Christ. Indulgences were introduced in this time where people could buy their way out of what was called purgatory, this limbo phase between, um, between hell and between heaven. Then the images came in. There were many compromises that came in. The church hierarchy substituted the sun's day for the Sabbath. Human dogmas replaced the clear teachings of God's word. And for centuries, truth was cast down. But would the truth be trodden down forever? Would the light of truth ever shine again? Would God's word be the foundation of the church once again? Indeed it will. Listen to this. Jude chapter 3. It says, sorry, Jude verse 3, that one verse 3 it says, "Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints." So here the Bible writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is encouraging believers to earnestly contend For their faith. Friends, God has always had faithful believers in every age in this earth's history, amen? And uh, they have stood up for God even in the midst of persecution. But many of God's people had to go into hiding during this time period, during this difficult time of persecution. And one of those groups was the Waldensian Christians. They were Bible believing Christians who lived in northern Italy and southern France. Uh, but the popular church despised this group of Christians uh, because they followed the teachings of the Bible. And so they were hunted down and even burned. They were thrown off of cliffs because um, they were up there in the Alps. And it was, it was a terrible situation. Uh, so these Christians, they fled into the Alps and they found a refuge there. Uh, but still there were, there were times of intense persecution. Here is a Waldensian village, and I had the privilege of going there um, two summers ago uh, and got to see this. It's an amazing place. Um, and some of, some of these uh, places are still very well-maintained to this day. Uh, and this is where men and women would study God's word, and they would copy it down. Uh, they, the, the Waldensians had the Bible in their own language, and they would copy it, and they would share it with people. Um, their young people were, were missionaries. Uh, this particular place was called the College of the Barbs. They're in northern Italy. And uh, so the Waldensians would copy Scripture, and the women of the, the women Waldensians, they, the mothers, they would sew uh, pockets in the garments of, um, of the individuals, the young people, and they would go to university and they would be sharing pages of Scripture with people to, to share the truth of God's Word with them. It was, a, it was a, an amazing experience that the Waldensies had. And among, and among this, uh, as a result of this, there were revivals that broke out throughout Europe. And the popular church leaders could not find out exactly where these Bible manuscripts were coming from. And so, by God's grace, friends, the Waldensians restored the truth of the Bible in the Bible only. Hundreds of years before the Reformation began, they possessed the Bible in their own language, and they inspired others to put their faith and trust in God's Word. They began to, um, ra- then God began to raise up a variety of other men. And in the late 1300s, there was a man by the name of John Hus, uh, or Jan Hus, depending on how you want to pronounce it, uh, but he was from Prague, Czechoslovakia, and he was a Catholic priest. And he began to study the Bible, and as he studied it, he came to the conclusion that obedience to God was of utmost importance to him, and not obedience to some man-made teachings. And as a result, Huss was burned at the stake in the town of Constance there in Germany. I've been to this, this very spot right here. I took this picture of the monument of his memorial right there in the center of town. It marked the spot where he was burned. And he, friends, he was a courageous hero whose life was dedicated to obeying the living God. So, friends, I believe that the Waldensians, I believe with the Waldensians that the Bible and the Bible only should be our rule of faith, not the traditions of the church. I believe with John Huss that obedience to God should be our motto as Christians. Amen? Then God raised up another Catholic priest in the early 1500s, a man by the name of Martin Luther. Anybody heard of Martin Luther? I'm sure we all have. And as Martin Luther struggled with issues of faith, he decided to go and visit Rome. And so as he was there at Rome, he climbed the famous uh, Pilate's Staircase. And sadly, friends, people are still climbing this today on their knees. Uh, It is so sad. But, uh, but Martin Luther thought if he could just climb those stairs, Jesus, uh, the stairs that supposedly Jesus climbed as, as he was there before Pilate, he, he thought that he would find peace. But when Luther returned back from Rome, he still felt the oppression of guilt. He had no peace. He sensed that guilt was crushing out his life and all the requirements of the church could not take away his sin. All the penances that he did all the going up the stairs on his knees could not take away his sense of condemnation all of all the whipping that he did to himself could not take away his feelings of unworthiness and then praise god he read this in the book of romans romans chapter 1 verse 17 he read that the just shall live by what Faith. faith the just shall live by faith he also read this in ephesians 2 8 for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. He also read in Acts 4.12 that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And what name is that, friends? It is the beautiful name of Jesus. He saw Jesus again afresh as he, as he was reading the scriptures, and he saw Jesus as a mighty Savior. And Luther was amazed. It transformed his life and he experienced new peace in his life and then he wanted to share that truth with others and so he went to the church there in Wittenberg and 500 years ago almost to the day he nailed his 95 theses on the front door for all to see 95 reasons why salvation is by grace through faith 95 reasons why why indulgences were unscriptural And before long, friends, God was using him to witness to the leaders of the church and the state, declaring to them that salvation comes by grace and not by works. Friends, I believe with Martin Luther that salvation comes not by the works of our hands. Amen? Not not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Amen? And what Jesus is doing for us now in the heavenly sanctuary. I believe that salvation only comes by grace through faith. And praise God, friends! The light of truth started to penetrate the darkness. Proverbs chapter four verse eighteen says, "But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter until the perfect day." Friends, when the sun rises in the morning, does does God throw the cosmic switch on and the sun comes out in complete full brightness instantly? No, it doesn't, right? The sun rises slowly and it chases away the darkness. Have you ever been in a room and you've uh, walked into a, a room that is fully bright? And, and what does that do for you? That, that, it's, it's hard, right? It's, it, it's blinding at times. That light is blinding there at, at the beginning. And it takes a while for our eyes to adjust to the light. And, and even so, it took... 500 years for the church to go from the white horse time period of the pure apostolic faith to the pale horse of spiritual darkness it took a long time of compromise after compromise to get the church to this sad state that it was at in the dark ages god didn't and and because of this because of the intense darkness that they were in god didn't just throw the the light on and give them all the truth all at once it would have been overwhelming. So God gradually began to restore the truth. God raised up the Waldensians who said the Bible and the Bible only should be our guide. God raised up John Huss who said obedience to God is my motto. Then he raised up Martin Luther who championed salvation by grace and, and, uh, and by faith. But the reason why there are so many different denominations, friends, is because the Waldensians stopped where they were. They said the Bible and the Bible only is truth, but they didn't keep studying the Bibles of the Doctrine. Uh, the doctrines of the Bible. <laughs> the Hussites said obedience to God, but they didn't keep going. They didn't keep studying and reading. The Lutheran said salvation by faith, but Martin and, and that Martin Luther has it all, but they didn't keep going after Martin Luther passed away. God raised up these good and these great men who had light, but none of them had uh, complete truth. Truth. They didn't have all the light all at once. Eventually, the Waldensians camped around one of their leaders, Peter Waldo. The Hussites camped out around John Huss. The Lutherans camped around Martin Luther. And then in the 1500s, God raised up another man by the name of John Calvin in Geneva, Switzerland. And he said, We need organization in the church and we need discipline in the Christian life. And that God calls us to growth in grace and they called his followers Calvinists or Presbyterians. But, the, but each church, during, as, as these churches started to develop and form, they did not realize that each group, each new church that came along was like a building block of truth. They didn't realize that truth was gradually being restored. But there was one individual that did, a gentleman by the name of John Robinson. He understood this principle that light was being revealed gradually. And he was the pastor of the Puritan Pilgrims who eventually sailed on the Mayflower here to America. And unable to make the journey himself, he admonished his, uh, his followers, his church members there. He said, if God should reveal anything to you by any other instrument of his, that is any other true reform movement, be as ready to receive it as ever you were to receive any truth from my ministry. For I am very confident that the Lord hath more truth and light yet to break forth out of his holy word speaking of such reformers as luther and calvin and their followers he said that they were burning they were burning and shining lights in their time yet they penetrated not into the whole counsel of god but were now but were they now living would be as willing to embrace further light as that which they first received So friends, God was leading the church over a period of centuries back to his word, back to the truths of God's word. And this this end time movement that God would be raising up here in these last days would build on the shoulders of the reformers, but it would go beyond the reformers even. It would continue to restore truths that were lost during the compromised church period of the dark ages. And friends, we know that they didn't have all the truth during that time. I mean, think about it. Martin Luther was still practicing uh, sprinkling. You know, there were, there were issues. There were things that were going on. And I'll talk more about that in my next presentation on Bible baptism. That's clearly not in the Bible, infant baptism. It took the Baptists, uh, or the Anabaptist movement to restore that truth about baptism by immersion. And in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the Bible tells us, Go therefore, this is the great commission, Go therefore and make disciples of how many? All the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe how many things? All things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Friends, this is a great commission. This is the Great Commission, and it is a huge task to go out. But friends, God gives us a promise with that Great Commission that he will be with us always. But Jesus said here to go out and to make disciples. And when they did, uh, when people accepted Christ, and they accepted the teachings of his word, that they were to be baptized. But the Lutherans said, well, Luther didn't teach baptism, so we're not going to do that. We're not going to baptize. But you see what God was doing? He was leading the church along very gradually. So in a sense, friends, I am a Waldensian because I believe in the Bible and that the Bible should be our rule of faith. In a sense, I'm a Hussite because I believe in obedience to God. In a sense, I'm a Lutheran because I believe in salvation by grace. In a sense, I'm a Presbyterian because I accept the Bible truth about church organization and Christian growth. In a sense, I'm a Baptist because I believe in baptism by immersion. But I reject the errors of those churches, and I accept the truths that they taught. Because all these, in all these creeds, and in all these different belief systems, there is some truth. Amen? There is some truth. And God would have us accept the truth, yet reject the errors of those times and those beliefs. Then in the 1700s, we see that God raised up another church great man of faith, a man by the name of John Wesley, very inspiring man. He rode thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of miles on horseback spreading the gospel across, uh, across England and also here in America some. And uh, Wesley saw that the standards of the church were decaying, that they were in decline. And uh, he saw that amusements were coming in, pleasures and practices of the world were entering the church. And so God raised up John Wesley and showed him that people should live holy and righteous lives, that they should live 100% for Jesus every day. So friends, I also believe in holiness. I believe that the church should be separate from the world. Christians should look different, amen? Christians should talk different. They should, they should uh, have different, a different standard, a higher standard, and that standard is God's word, amen? So, friends i believe god is calling christians to a high standard the high standard of christ and the good news friends is that christ has the power to change our lives amen so we are to be lights in the dark in the darkness of this world but friends you cannot you cannot light the darkness if you are like the darkness you catch that you cannot light the darkness if you are like the darkness god is calling us higher there was another man that came and helped restore truth of God's word. Uh, and that is the truth about the second coming of Jesus. And uh, it was close to the mid-1800s uh, that a man by the name of William Miller came along the scene. And uh, there's no relation that I can tell. You know, I'm John Miller, but I, I, I don't see any, any relation. But it would be cool if I was. Um, but uh, he, he was raised up by God to proclaim the truth of the second coming of Jesus and at the time the church had largely neglected the truth of the second coming of Jesus and and many believed that uh, that that Jesus was going to come and establish an earthly kingdom and uh, and that was simply not the case and so at this time God raised up a whole new group of believers called Admonists and Adventists were called Adventists because they believed that Jesus was coming again soon uh, we refer to Christ's first coming as the first advent and the second coming would be the second advent. So that's why Avenists uh, are called Avenists because they believe Jesus is coming again. And so, friends, I'm an Avenist because I believe that Jesus Christ is coming again soon. How many of you could? Uh, how many of you believe that as well? Jesus is coming soon, then that makes you Avenist as well. And uh, but the but there was another important truth of the Bible that was not yet restored. And that was, uh, that true faith leads us to obedience. It leads us to keep the commandments of God. And that, not to keep it out of legalism, but to keep it out of love to God. And that, that restored the seventh day Sabbath. And it showed that it was still a memorial of God's creative authority. So God would raise up a, a last end time movement that would restore the truth about God's ten commandments in a time when commandment breaking was rampant. A last day movement that would take God's instructions seriously uh, in his word. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Truths that were long lost sight of down through the ages would be restored at the end of time. God would restore the truth of, that the Bible should be trusted instead of church dogma. Uh, Jesus instead of earthly priests grace instead of works, the law instead of, instead of religious tradition, and the Sabbath instead of Sunday, baptism, the way Jesus was baptized instead of, emer- uh, instead of sprinkling, resurrection instead of the pagan concept of the immortal soul, which we'll talk about next weekend, the second coming that ushers in Jesus' eternal kingdom instead of an earthly kingdom that would be established on this earth. So we see in the book of Revelation that God has a last day movement outlined in the book of Revelation. His last day movement would accept all the truth of the denominations that have gone before it and yet reject the errors that were taught. His message would go to the ends of the earth, to every people group, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. The Bible describes this in Revelation chapter 14, which we've looked at extensively in our seminar thus far. Revelation 14, 6 and 7 says, Then I, John, saw... Another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Now friends, this everlasting gospel is the same gospel that Jesus taught, amen? It is the everlasting gospel, uh, the same gospel that was preached during the white horse time period, and it will be preached with power here in these last days. It is the gospel of the New Testament Christians. And by God's grace, it will go to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And the Bible continues, it says, Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And at the time of God's judgment hour, God would call all of humanity back to the completeness of truth in God's word. God would call humanity back to worship him as the creator. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the Bible says, the sea and the springs of water, So God would call all of humanity back to worship him as the creator God. And in an, in an age of evolution, God would restore the truth about creation. You know, friends, the Bible says that God created the world in six days. Do you believe that? I believe that with all my heart, friends. If the Bible says it, I believe it. And, um, and Jesus believed it as well. And uh, so we see here at the end of time that God will have a group of people that restore truths that were lost during the dark ages. And in Revelation chapter 14, it describes this end time group of people in these words. It says in Revelation 14:12, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. Friends, God wants us to be among this group. Amen? Because God wants to have a called-out people in these last days. People from every nation, people from every tribe, every race, every language. A called-out people is what he desires. And friends, he is calling each and every one of us out of the world at this time. So in a sense, I'm a Waldensian, friends, because I believe in the Bible and the Bible only. In a sense, I'm a Hussite because I believe in obedience to God as our motto. In a sense, I'm a Lutheran because I believe in salvation, that salvation is by grace in Jesus Christ. In a sense, I'm a Presbyterian because I believe the organization of the church as taught by the Bible. In a sense, I'm a Baptist because I believe in baptism by immersion. In a sense, I'm also a Methodist because I believe that God has called us to holiness. And I'm an Adventist because I believe that Jesus is coming soon. And I am a Seventh day Adventist because I believe in the Bible Sabbath. I believe God will have a group of people that keep all of his commandments in these last days. And I believe God is calling people to step forward in faith with him. And friends, tonight, God is doing something amazing. He is gathering people to his last day movement all around the world. All around the world, there are people that are accepting God's truth. I've, I've heard amazing and inspiring stories of people that are hearing the gospel, even in closed countries, countries where it's not safe for missionaries to be. But the gospel is going there through technology and through uh, missionaries that are undercover. And it's amazing to hear what God is doing. Friends, God is calling people that will step forward for him. That they, they won't hang on to the traditions of man, but they will cling to God's word. And they are people that want to go all the way with Jesus. And friends, that is what I would encourage you to do tonight. Go all the way with Jesus. Walk in his truth. As God reveals light to you, walk in that light as he is in the light, the Bible says. And I believe that God has brought us here, each one of us, To these meetings for this reason god is wanting to teach us more things god is wanting us to learn his word better to study it more deeply than we've ever studied it before he brought us here so that we could learn to walk in god's ways and tonight as we close by show of hands how many of you would like to go all the way with jesus tonight you want to go all the way with jesus whatever god reveals to you you want to do it amen let's pray together as we close father in heaven Lord, we thank you so much that you have been with your church. Lord, your church has gone through some major trials. Lord, there has been persecution, horrible persecution during the Dark Ages and and earlier. And Lord, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to be faithful to you, even in the midst of persecution. Yes, there, there will be persecution even in these last days. But Lord, help us to stay firm in our faith help us to stay grounded in your love help us to keep our eyes fixed on you lord the world may be falling apart around us but lord help us to look to you as our hope as our security and i pray lord that we would choose to go all the way with you lord whatever truth you reveal to us that we would be willing to walk in it hand in hand with you lord you are our savior you are our God. And Lord, we long to follow you. We want to be a part of that group in the last days, Lord, that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Lord, we want to be a part of the group in the the end times, Lord, that follow the Lamb wherever he leads us. And Lord, you are the Lamb and we want to follow you. We just ask and pray that you would give us the strength to do that, Lord, that you would work in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.